Good morning, friends. We're continuing in our Philippians series today. And so I invite you, if you're using the Pew Bibles, to turn to page 982. Page 982 in those Bibles. It's Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 10 and going to verse 20, which Ann just read for us. Let's pray as we wait for God to illuminate his word once again this morning. We pray, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you who inspired this word to be perfect, to perfectly reveal who you are infallibly, that you would today work as you promised to do from the Old Testament to the New to bring us to see Jesus Christ in every word in Scripture, to be captivated by Jesus Christ, to cast aside every other thing that seems so enticing to us, and to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the Word of God who comes to us through the Word of God, that we might be conformed to His image, and that we might grow in likeness to Him for your glory and our joy. We pray this in His mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we, as we come to worship today, of course, it's New Year's Eve, and probably most of us are thinking, well, we've got a few more hours left in 2023, and then come the diets, the early morning workouts, the Bible in a year plan. We've all got some things that we probably brought to worship today that we're thinking about starting tomorrow. Tomorrow, of course, not today yet. Most everyone has one or two New Year's resolutions on their mind. Everyone that is except, it seems, the e-commerce site eBay. eBay sent me a New Year's Eve email. If you're a member of eBay, check your email. You might have gotten a customized one as well. This is what the title was to the email. Say goodbye to resolutions. And they write this in the body of the email. With a new year upon us, It's tempting to focus on the ways we need to change. But we think you're pretty awesome just as you are. (laughs) Thanks, eBay. Wow. Then it continues. Ditch the cliched resolutions and begin 2024 by diving into joy, starting with the sweet savings on eBay. (laughs) Big vision for the new year. And then the, you know, the computer um, program, the algorithm customizes the email. So yours would be different than mine. This is what mine says, which tells you there's something wrong with eBay's algorithm. Quote, arts and crafts are not just for kids. Between crocheting and do-it-yourself soap making, you'll be a handmade master. It's like, I like soap as much as the next guy. I don't want to craft it myself, but... Somehow eBay's gotten this idea. It continues, ditch the resolution. Instead, buy a pair of driving shoes. I didn't even know this existed. There is no denying that driving shoes, it says, make driving more fun. A driving shoe is a must-have in italics. Spoil yourself and get a driving shoe so that you can press on the accelerator comfortably for hours. What a big vision for the new year. (laughs) eBay's right about one thing, though. Um, We come to new year wanting to experience joy. 
wanting to experience contentment. And eBay thinks that comes through purchasing things, and they're not wrong. I mean, we've come through the cultural Christmas moment where we're purchasing all sorts of things. If you went to the Tyson's Corner Mall, even on New Year's Eve, which I know some of you probably did, it's crazy packed. Just how our culture is, right? It gets tagged on to the Christmas story. I think though most of us reckon that true New Year's joy, contentment, blessing, will come through the kind of success that is the result of tackling new projects, these diets, these disciplines, exercise, growth in virtue and character, stuff like this. And to the extent that we're successful, we expect to experience greater contentment, greater blessing on the other side of all that work. In fact, Christians will often colloquially say, I hope you have a blessed new year. And, and you know, when we say that, I think what we're, we're trying to express is the desire that the other person would experience well-being or, or positive circumstances or good health or prosperity of some kind in the new year. And for many, perhaps most Christians, to be blessed really is equivalent with having favorable circumstances, having good outcomes. If you have these, you're blessed. But that begs the question. Maybe you think like that as a Christian. Good outcomes mean you're blessed. That's where the contentment comes from. It's kind of how pop Christianity talks. I'm so blessed because of this or that. What about the times and the seasons and the beginnings of New Year's and the middle of New Year's and the ends of years where the circumstances are not so good? Uh, when, when tragedy strikes and comes into the midst of your family, when, when a season is marked by misfortune, when you fail to achieve the goals that you so carefully set, when heartbreak or loss or grief breaks in, much of which you have no control over and is due to no fault of your own. What then, Christian? Are we no longer blessed? Oh, we were blessed last year. Last year was good. What, now we're cursed? Is this how it works? And if so, how do we get the blessing back? How do we get contentment back? You know, what is the proper theological category for this type of a circumstance? Well, I think that Paul in Philippians 4 gives us a way to course correct this commonplace colloquial Christian misunderstanding of blessing that is based on the goodness of our present circumstances rather than the abiding, immovable, eternal blessing that we have in Jesus Christ. And Paul is going to reveal today what he calls the secret. And it's this, really. Whether we are in the red, as it were, operating from a place of need, or whether we are in the black, operating from a place of abundance, our blessing, Paul will say, our contentment, rests secure in Christ regardless of our circumstances. For Paul, the circumstances of life are going to vary, but the blessing of the gospel, God's blessing, is never paused. It's never removed. Ours as Christians is an ever-present blessing based on Christ's faithfulness and our faith in Him. It's not, I'm too blessed to be stressed. It's that I'm blessed even if I'm stressed and worse, even suffering. And we're going to examine this in three parts today, following the text just as it goes. How we live out a content Christian life 
when we're spiritually in the red. We'll look at contentment in the red, verses 10 through 13, and see what Paul calls the secret to contentment. And then we're going to look at discipleship in the red, how we grow ourselves and help others to grow when circumstances are not as we wish they would be. And then we'll conclude by looking at gospel riches in the red in verses 19 through 20, which just a sneak peek does not mean what often it means when televangelists say gospel riches. It's a different kind of riches. Ultimately, we'll see that Paul really does have a different view of blessing than contemporary Christianity. So turn to verses 10 through 13, and we're going to start to examine that together, starting at verse 10. What does Paul say? It says in the text that Paul greatly rejoices that the Philippians have once again partnered with him. I mean, Paul's immediately going to pivot to say, it's not because I now have an abundance that I'm so happy. In fact, my contentment transcends my current circumstances. But he doesn't kind of make light of it either, that his condition is improved once again by the Philippians. If you were here a few weeks ago, we preached through Philippians 1. And we talked about how the Philippians really were the only church. It was a church that Paul planted, small, tiny group of people, many very poor people. And what did they do? They came together and followed Paul wherever he went and kept sending him financial gifts that allowed the gospel to go forward. So what does he mean here? They revived it again. Well, it wasn't, you couldn't go on social media and track Paul with a GPS. This is the ancient world. First, he was in Thessalonica, and they gave to him there. Then he went south to Berea, and then he went to Athens. They lost touch with him for a while. Then he ended up in Rome, and they heard that Paul was in prison, and they were eager to send him another gift, which is where we find ourselves here in this text. But the secret, as Paul quickly begins to articulate in these first couple verses, is that this contentment that he has really doesn't depend on that gift. It's there in abundance, and it's there in need. You see, think of it this way. For Paul, the opposite of need is not abundance. The opposite of need is Christ. For Paul, the opposite of abundance is not need. The opposite of abundance is Christ. Whether we are abounding or whether we have nothing at all, Christ is all and in all and all things for Paul. And this fundamentally changes, I think, what the way that we use this terminology of being blessed. I'm so blessed, this and that other thing. Unless you want to start saying, I'm cursed when things go wrong, which I don't suggest. For Paul, you can have everything and be blessed. And for Paul, you can lose everything. And here's the point, you'll still be blessed. That's freeing to me because at some point in some year, eventually we all lose. We might start out strong, we might go in strong, but we lose. And we cannot lift ourselves back up. And on that day, what will we say? I'm cursed, I used to be blessed. No, brothers and sisters, the gospel of Paul is not that contentment lies in your present circumstances, it's that it lies in Jesus Christ. It's out ahead of you, it's before you, it's now, it's forever. It cannot be taken away based on your circumstances. You are children of God. That is your right, and that is your inheritance. I mean, this is why the Apostle Peter, like Paul, says in the third chapter of his epistle, even if you should suffer 
for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Now, those two words in American evangelical lingo often don't go together. Suffering and blessing, the blessing comes after the suffering is gone. But what, is, what good is that for someone who's suffering? Right? It, it, it's, it's not good news if there's blessing beyond the suffering that you can't pull yourself out of. That's not what Paul teaches. It's not what Peter teaches. Peter teaches in chapter 4 the same thing at verse 14. If you are insulted, echoing the words of Jesus, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, he says, you are already blessed. What kind of logic is that, Peter? I want the good stuff now. I want the contentment now. No, no, for Peter, for Paul, both of whom were martyred, along with the rest of the people who started the early church, for all of these people, contentment rested in Christ, beyond, separated from, above, better than their circumstances. And I think this is a helpful thing to keep in mind as contemporary Christians making resolutions into the new year. This, this, practically speaking, means that we could be in the red this year. We could be in the red right now, spiritually, financially, emotionally, in terms of our health, our, 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 our well-being, whatever way. But we can still be abounding in Christ, just like Paul. You see, we abound in the economy of Christ even when we're poor, according to the economy of this world. And that's what we need to take with us as we go into the new year. There is blessing in the red, not just beyond it. We must take this up as Christians. There is contentment even in the red because your contentment rests in something that has defeated all the things that seem to be defeating you right now. This doesn't mean we don't make goals. It just means that the end result is not our goal. It is the gospel, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We must keep this in mind as we make all our great plans that sometimes if they don't line up with God's providence, we don't see that as a curse. We see that as a challenge, but we see it as an abiding blessing of God to walk with him in the midst of that. Now, this means that that favorite verse, you know, that there's some, several verses that even like atheists know from sporting events and these sort of things. So the first one's what? John 3.16, right? This would probably be the second, third, or fourth. It makes every top 10 list. Philippians 4, verse 13. What does it say? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And it's on every bumper sticker everywhere. It's a great verse, right? For most, many people, it's probably your favorite verse. Paul helps us to understand, though, that in the context of his teaching about contentment in Christ, this is not sort of a mantra, a generic statement about self-improvement. Like, I can do all things, anything I want to do, which is how some people take it. Right? It's like, I can be lifting zero weights, like me, on December 31st. Well, that's not true. I lift some weights. They're just not really heavy. They're my wife's. <laughs> they say fila on the side. I can lift Fila weights on December 31st, but then I'm going to rock up to Gold's gym as soon as the clock strikes on January 1st and just bench press a 200-pound kind of thing and yell out, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, you know, before being crushed by this thing. That's not what the text means, but that's somehow how we use it to resource the feel-good Christianity that we want to have so that we can do whatever we want to do and feel like 
our resolutions are the main thing. Our resolutions aren't the main thing. God's resolution to save you from a predicament that you could never get out of, to save us, that's the main thing that grounds our plans, that restructures our plans around the parameters of God's providence. All things refers not to everything in general, but to the ability to persevere in the midst of excruciating, difficult circumstances and to see contentment even in the midst of that because your contentment lies in the inheritance that you have in Christ. One example of this and how this works in, could work in your life. Recently, I went with a bunch of guys, went on a hike, uh, I, I guess on the border of West Virginia and Virginia, did some winter camping, really good, really strong. We're all, I think I'm the oldest one, so 30s, I'm 42, um, and we said, we're going to do this big hike. We're going to climb to the, the peak and see this beautiful site, right? And we didn't, we didn't plan it quite right. And so we were out there for three and a half hours, and we can see the peak. We could see it, um, but we realized if we go to the peak, we're going we're gonna to be, you know, it's going to be dark on the way back. It's going to be pitch black out. We, we don't have flashlights and all these things. And so we're all asking, do you, really, do you guys want to go? And all of us will be like, yeah, totally. I can keep going, no problem. Come to find out afterwards, we were all so tired and we just weren't saying it, right? And we didn't go to the peak. So, you know, in worldly views, if you compare that to a resolution that you might have, you might say, well, we failed that day. We made a goal and we failed. And you look at it and you say, what a failure that was. But if you look at it within the parameters of the way the situation worked out, right, it was not we failed, it was that we did an awesome three-hour hike together with a bunch of friends that we wouldn't have otherwise done, right? And so if we do that with our resolutions and align them within the parameters of God's emerging providence in our lives, we don't have to set this idealistic sort of doomed to fail New Year's resolution that's based on really building contentment around whatever we're trying to do. That's just one way to think about it. But in verses 14 through 18, Paul shifts from contentment to discipleship. He tells us, you can be content in the red because your contentment lies in Christ. He also shows us what it means to live as disciples of Jesus in a life situation where often we're in the red, we're not abounding. Or in need. Look at verses 14 through 18. What you see here, uh, really strongly, is within seven verses, Paul really hones in the focus on you, the Philippians. This is important. Now, remember, in the ancient world, they're not walking around with NIV study Bibles or ESV study Bibles or whatever your favorite interpretation is, the message. No, they're walking around with Paul and disciples and, you know, they are listening to these letters being read. They didn't have personal Bibles. And so hearing the repetition of a word seven times is, is profound in the ancient language. So it says this in verse 14. You shared my affliction. You yourselves, Philippians, you alone partnered with me in giving and receiving. You sent me help for my needs once again in Thessalonica. I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. 
This is really important for us to consider because as Christians, we want to grow in holiness in the new year, hopefully. We want to grow in sanctification and spiritual disciplines and all these things. But oftentimes, they're in a single lane. It's me and Jesus. The things I'm doing for me don't really affect you, and the things you're doing for you don't really affect me. That's not the view that Paul puts forward here. What the Philippians did for Paul has changed Paul's situation, and Paul is wanting to say, that is changing your situation. You notice what Paul says later. He says, not that I desire the gift. Not that I need the gift. He's already said he doesn't need the gift. He's content without it or with it. Not that I desire the gift. I desire the fruit that comes to your account through the gift. This idea that you're more blessed if you give than if you receive. That's what Paul's picking up on. And this language that Paul uses here about a fragrant offering is language he uses elsewhere in Ephesians. Chapter 5, hear the word of God. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and, hear this, gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, what Paul is saying is that when you do good works, when the work that's been done in you is worked out to someone else, it's not just evidence that you're saved. It's not earning your salvation. Certainly not. It's not evidence. It's an instrument by which Christ blesses another person. Uh-oh. That's what happens when you grow a beard. It's Christ being present through their work. And I want us to think about that a little bit because really when it comes to New Year's resolutions, if all we're after is maybe, maybe we come out of the thing with like better abs or something like this, but we're seriously out of shape in our soul, or even worse, we achieve physical fitness, but because of our focused self-interest, that's at someone else's spiritual detriment. That's not sanctifying behavior. That's not holy behavior. That's behavior that causes us to look more inward in ourselves rather than to become like Jesus, whose love does not you know, come in on itself, but goes back out to bless through sacrifice. And so I want us to apply this principle to ourselves. When we look at our own attempts for personal growth, when you look at your New Year's resolutions that you walked in here with, what are they doing to do spiritual good to someone else? What are the changes that you're making to yourself that will benefit another? Who are you doing spiritual good to as a disciple of Jesus? And if it's just yourself, you don't have to feel condemned, but you want to feel convicted that really the gospel transforms not when it's done as a solo practitioner, but when it's done for the sake of others. That's what the love of Jesus is all about. So who are you discipling? I mean, for, for all of us, it will be different. If you've got kids, you might say the, the first line is you're discipling your family. Right? You're discipling your family, and it's really difficult to do that. We all feel like, I don't know what I'm doing. None of us know what we're doing. We're all reacting and responding and trying to do the best we can. Maybe you're a grandparent and you're discipling you know, your grandkids. One simple way you can do this is simply to read the Bible with your kids. I know that sounds like, oh, you say that all the time. It's a radical thing to say in our culture, is it not? Most people this week will be taking down you know, blow up Santas and, and you, know, you know, those things that they blow up on the front lawn and then 
at, you know, when the daytime comes, it looks like a graveyard. They just kind of deflate. That's the end of Christmas for them. The Church of Jesus Christ is a place where that light continues after everyone else has packed them away in a box and waited for a nostalgia rush next year. This is the place where Jesus' light lives on, and it lives on not in some abstract, esoteric way. It lives on through his word. One of the ways I've done this with Liam is I've got the ESV Bible with um, pictures in it. It's like an adult Bible, but it's got pictures in it, just like maybe they all should have pictures. Um, and I read this with him, and one of the things I said was, oh, I'm going to read through the Gospel of John by the end of the new year. Right? Do you know what chapter in John I'm on? John 5. Right, you say, you're supposed to be a pastor. That's what my daughter says to me all the time. I'm like, that proves the gospel. Okay. That proves the gospel. Um, smart kid. Is that a failure? Not really, because other times I was outside playing basketball, and other times I'm doing other things with my son, and a million other things together. But five chapters in the Gospel of John is more than no chapters in the Gospel of John. Right? And so what do we do? We keep reading John. There's no idealistic ceiling that I didn't meet. There's only blessing upon blessing through God's word. And whether he comes to faith now or in the future, or whether our children who have been evangelizing for years come to faith now, God has promised through his word that it will not return to him void or empty. And so we speak the word of God. We trust Jesus that the blessing that he promises is coming to us. Discipleship in the red. Contentment in the red. And then the last one is gospel riches in the red. Look at verse 19. Paul says this, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, some people look at what the gospel is asking us to give up. All the wonderful things of the world, all the accolades, all the things, our own resolutions, and the trust in Jesus who's not even present in the building, who comes to us through a book, that's a lot to ask me, John. That's how the world feels about it. Maybe you feel like that. How Paul feels about it is that, yes, God will supply every need that you have, but look how he modifies it. According to his riches, according to his glory, in Christ Jesus. What that means is that whether you have much or whether you have nothing at all, God is supplying your need in him. And trusting in him is accessing that eternal blessing now. You're not cursed. You are really suffering. This isn't Buddhism. This isn't feel-good religious churchianity. You, if you're suffering, are really suffering. The pain that you're feeling emotionally, spiritually, physically is real. It is devastating. It is difficult. And friends, when we say, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, I hope that you hear the saints around you, maybe it's even you, who are struggling and suffering, sometimes barely able to get the words out, saying, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Hear it in their voice. Say it in your voice. That's what the communion of the saints that we pray about is all about. That's why Christmas for us is not just the nativity set on the front lawn that goes away and is put in a bin till next year. The light of Jesus will outlast all of that fanfare.
which will be taken down probably next week. Jesus remains. His blessing remains. If you are sick, contentment and blessing does not lay at the other side of a curse that you have on you. You are blessed in him. He will not turn against you. He will not forsake you. He will not leave you. He will not turn aside from you. You are blessed because of who you are in him, regardless of whatever life puts on your plate this year. Now that means you run fast and hard after the things you want to achieve, but the goal is not the end, the gospel is. Jesus Christ gives us a blessing that is not a fleeting circumstance, but a stable disposition that cannot be defeated. And that is your inheritance. Friends, I'm going to pray this old prayer that I found um, from some bishops that just help us to orient our minds to this fact that life is difficult and we don't have any clue what it will deal us this year. But the blessing that we have in Jesus Christ abides forever. Nothing can take it away from you. On Christ, the solid rock, we stand, as the hymn says. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray. Remember us, O God, from age to age be our comforter. You have given us the wonder of time, blessing us in days and nights and seasons and years. Bless us, your children, O Lord, at the turning of this year. Fill the months ahead with the bright hope that is ours right now in Jesus Christ. You are our God, living and reigning forever and ever. Be our God this day and always, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.